0: At some point, it is a new year, and so that means uh, in our culture we're confronted with things like New Year's resolutions. Uh, in the church, we also feel as if we needed to need to address this, and, and this year is no different. We're going to be talking about the new year, but what what confronts us in our in our just right in our face, right between our eyes, and, and deep in our heart is uh, that another year is gone, and then we start thinking about the last year. We look back, and we think about okay, there were some wins. In 2016, personally, for your family, uh, for, for the church. And there were some, some painful things. Every year is kind of you know filled with a journal of both things that we can celebrate and things that are, are quite painful. Um, and, and we really don't get out of any year without those two things. Almost everybody, even if it's been the worst year of, of your life, you can look back and say, you know what, there were some really joyful moments. There were some really happy moments in this last year, uh, even though it may have been a painful year for you. But we know as we go forward, the next year... Uh, we have plans. We have hopes. Um, we have plans and hopes for our families and for our church. We want to grow in Christ. We want to experience the things of God. We don't want to just uh, learn more about God. We want to experience the things that we're learning. Uh, so at, at the end of 2017, I hope we, we say as a church, not simply that we learned some things about God, but that we grew spiritually. And we can say, here are the areas that God grew me this last year where. I used to sin in this way and God is beginning to pull me out of that sin and open my eyes to another sin that He's now working on. And I used to not be able to experience Christ in this way. and I used to not understand who Christ is and what He has done for me in this way. And now I'm experiencing what it means to feel no condemnation. I'm experiencing what it means to get through the holidays and not just feel lingering guilt. But feel that I can just be free to enjoy so I want you to experience all those things, but we're confronted with um, plans that we have. I mean, in 2017, some of you may have been already planning your, planning your vacation for this next year, planning uh, what you hope to happen for your family or hope to happen for your children. Um, you're planning whatever it may be. You're just you're planning. You have desires for this next year that you want to happen. So I have a long list of things that I want to happen. I want to be in our home by January 31st. Probably not going to happen, but I want to be in our house by January 31st. Um, I want certain things for my family. So I want Jordan and I to grow spiritually together this year. I want us to actually be intentional about asking each other, hey, what's God doing in your heart right now, in this moment, rather than it being two or three weeks and realizing, oh gosh, I forgot, I haven't asked her how things are going spiritually in the last three weeks. So I want to be better at that this year. I want us as a family to grow. I want Ransom as he goes from two years old to three years old. I'm praying that he's more spiritually aware this year. So I'm asking the Holy Spirit to begin to work things, just deep convictions in him. So I want him, I I want to see tears flowing freely this year over sin that he's committing. So when he tells Gigi and Papa, my grandma and grandpa, or my parents, when he tells them, I don't love you anymore, I just love daddy and mommy because he doesn't want to go to bed. Okay? Um, I want him to experience conviction over those things that it's it's not okay just to say the meanest thing you can possibly say to your grandpa. And that's kids are like that for some reason. They're just they're, they're just like And they're the sweetest thing ever as well. It's just this weird combination of emotions that you see with your kids. You're like, oh my gosh, that's cute. Thank you for telling me that you hate me, but I love you still. So I have deep, deep desires for him. I want him to become a Christian at an early age. So this year I'm, I'm praying that he just starts to see some... Some things in his life that, okay, I, I'm feeling conviction. I'm just guilt, but conviction. For our church, um, I'm really hopeful that we experience conversion growth this year. I want to see conversion growth. I want to see college students meet, meet Jesus. And I want to see them get connected here. I want to see them be baptized. I want to see people, as I mentioned earlier, uh, just just before during the announcements, I want to see people who um, have been around churches in Southern Illinois for a while, and unfortunately, their experience, whether it's due to their sin or not, um, has been difficult, and they they felt like, man, I just I, I'm just I'm just kind of done. And I want them to experience home here. I want them to experience um, Christ. There's a lot of 40 to all the way up who've experienced traditionalism, who've experienced legalism, and just some the nasty tentacles of religion um, in a, in a bad way. And I'm praying they experience deliverance, that they fall back in love with the local church. Jesus loves the church, and we are not free to not love who Jesus loves. And so I'm praying that people fall back in love with the local church. So all these things, they're they're all desires, plans, and you have them for your family and for your life as well. Financial goals, whatever it may be. So I'm just going to give you a second to pause, and we're going to all close our eyes together. And we're just going to... I'm going to just ask you to to think about what do you want to happen in 2017? What are some things you think, man, that'd be really nice. That'd be really cool for that to happen. Just what is your desire for 2017? So we're going to just take a minute of awkward silence. I'm going to look at my clock and then I'm going to close my eyes for what I think is close to a minute and then look back and see if I can nail it perfectly. And think about what you want during this awkward minute, what you want 2017 to look like, okay? One minute starting right now. Heads up, 7-up. That was fun. In school, anyways. Now, for all the things you just thought about, what would it look like this morning and for you this week to surrender those plans and ask the Lord and declare to Him, God, what do you have for me this year? I want that. Because often, God's plans for us are quite different than our own plans for us. What does it look like? All those things that you want to happen this year. Just say, God, I want to put all those things on the table. And just say, God, I want what you have for me this year. I want it. Grow me. If I don't get these things, if we don't do these things, that I want to happen this year. If I don't get to experience these things that I would love to experience this year, if my year looks totally different than what I expect it to look like, God, I'm surrendering that and saying, I want what you have for me. Now, let's pray, and we're going to look at Genesis chapter 8. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what we're going to look at today in Genesis 8. I need your help. God, I pray for the children and the students that are in this room. You have purposes for them. This year. And I ask for the kids that are in this room that don't know you. Jesus, you would look at them and say, let the kids come to me. Jesus, you you were not, there wasn't a, an age limit for for you to say, okay, come hang out with me. Jesus, you had an amazing way, amazing way of laughing and playing. And I just pray that you would work powerfully in the lives of our children this year. We want to see them become our brothers and sisters, not just our kids. And so I just pray you'd work in them. God, I ask that you would unleash them in their schools, in their peer groups. God, unleash them to be missionaries there, to tell them about you, Jesus. And for us in this room, as we look at the flood, as we look at Noah and his family, and the patience that was required, Uh, The surrender that was required from them, God, that this would have bearing in our lives and this would set set the trajectory of our hearts on pace for the rest of this year, whatever you would have for us. Just ask that you would help and I trust that you will. In Jesus' name, amen. So I love this. title of the sermon is New World, New Year. We get to the place in Genesis that's perfect for New New Year's Day and it's uh, when the flood waters were subsiding and the inhabitants of the ark for about 370 days were able to come out and God commissions them to something new. It's a new world. And so for us, uh, we're looking at what God said for Noah and his family and we're kind of flipping that onto our lives as we look into Genesis 8 and 9. And we're going to say, God, okay, what are are some of these things that apply to us? And so first, we're going to look at waiting on the Lord. The second thing we're going to look at this morning is surrendering to the Lord. And the third thing we're going to look at is how faithful God is. So, waiting, surrender, and a faithful God. First, waiting. Look at verses 1 through 12 of chapter 8. Now, remember, 370 days, they didn't have dramamine on an ark that didn't have propulsion and didn't have directional capabilities that we know of. Floating in the water. I mean, imagine how much you would be throwing up. I can't even ride in the back of a van without throwing up or getting nauseous. I mean, 370 days with family and animals. Talk about wanting to pull your hair out, right? I mean, not just your own family, like brothers, sisters, you know, all of that sort of stuff. I mean, it would be, you know, wonderful, but probably some fights and poop slinging and stuff like that going on. But um, Genesis 8, we're going to first look at 1 through 12. We're going to read the whole thing. Here we go. But God remembered Noah and the beast and all the livestock that were in the ark. God made the wind blow over the earth and the waters subside and the fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens were restrained. The waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, and side note, notice how specific these days and dates are. In historical literature, what separates myth and fiction from historical accuracy are things like this. Historical fiction and mythology, there aren't accurate date keeping and time keeping like this. Three times in this passage we get specific dates. Pretty interesting. The ark came to red from the face of the ground, but the dove, dove found no place to for her to set her foot, and she returned to the ark, and the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand, took her, and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth a dove out of the ark, and the dove came back to him. And in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So no one knew that the waters had subsided on the earth. And he waited another seven days, and sent forth the dove, And she had not returned to him anymore. In the six hundredth and first year, in the first month, first day of the month, the waters were dried from the face of the earth. And Noah removed the coverings of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the seventh month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, we're just going to read all the way through 19. Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons and wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh. Birds, animals, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, is that they may swarm on the earth, be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons with them, wives with them, every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by families from the ark. Waiting is point one. You see two times, nearing the end of the time that Noah and his family lived on the ark, he had to, the words were actually used waiting. And three times he had to do it because three different times, three different weeks. Verse 10 specifically, it says he waited. And then verse 12 specifically, it said he waited. And when you come to the end of being on an ark for 370 days, you are antsy. Uh, talk about cabin fever. This is ark fever. Your hands are sweating. Your palms, I mean, your heart is beating. You're ready to get out of this thing. You notice that he had to make a window? Meaning there wasn't just a a massive amount of windows on this ark. You're talking about being in the dark. Anybody in here that the dark and the winter just really affects your mood? Is that okay? A few of you? Where you just, just darkness, it just has its effect on you physiologically, psychologically. Imagine being in a stinking ark, literally stinking ark, Long with the same group of people, you got plenty of time to get the corks. I mean, for you to be fully aware of every cork that these families had. I mean, just the annoyances, the way she says that. If I had to hear that again, I go, I'm, going, I'm telling you, I'm living on the other side of the same. I'll go live with the monkeys if I have to hear her say that again. <laughs> Stuff like that. Uh, I'm going, okay. And to then be so close to the end. And have to wait a week. I'm sure that week, I, I mean I'm guessing that week would, would feel like a year. And then to to know that this is about God's timing. Uh, you've had to obey God in everything to get to this point, And then getting off of this ark would be no different. You would have to obey God to get off of this ark as well. And so we see two times, in particular the word waiting is used. And if you were to be off this boat, even though you felt trapped and annoyed, you would have to do it the Lord's way and have His timing in mind. So you would have to wait. Many times our life, when we think about things when it comes to our walking with the Lord, um, require waiting. For 2017 to be a successful year where you're honoring God in all that you do, you're going to have to have Holy Spirit-inspired waiting as a part of your life. There's going to be things that you simply have to wait for. Uh, You're going to have to, by God's grace, emulate Noah in this instance and wait on God's timing. Uh, there are several different things that you have to wait for. You know this. If you've been walking with God for any time at all, uh, we have to wait on the Lord when it comes to questions like, what should I do? Uh, last year included for the strunks, for instance, a, a periods of waiting when it comes to job. We have to wait on what God was doing. Uh, were there not times last year where you were scratching your head? Wondering, God, what are you up to? Uh, so it of felt antsy? How's this going to work? You know? Where's money going to come from? How? If we quit the job at this time or don't get this job, those questions are there and you just simply have to wait. I mean, time is the only thing that ends up revealing what God had in store. You just didn't know. And how often is it that we forget that God's timing is always perfect because we have this unbelievable forgetting ability where we forget that God comes through and then the very next day you wonder like, oh my gosh, we're going to end up on the, you know, fill in the blank, we're going to end up on the streets with no job. and uh, You know how it goes where you quickly forget what the Lord does and how He provides. This year is going to be like Noah on the ark. It's going to be a year where you're going to have to be required to wait on the Lord. You're going to have to wait. If you're single, you're going to have to wait on a spouse, wait on God's timing relationally. This also is the case for married couples who are waiting on the Lord to bring conviction because they've tried to be the Holy Spirit for years and it doesn't work. So they're waiting still for the Holy Spirit to bring the blinders off the eyes of their spouse. Okay, There are things that I cannot see about myself, um, that even if it may not annoy Jordan yet, it doesn't contribute to the health of my family. Because of my blind spot, uh, it, can, it, it actually works to the opposite. And so I'm asking the Lord this year to, to show me these blind spots, waiting on the Lord. And maybe that's the case for you. You've been praying on a spot. You've been praying for your spouse. You're just waiting. God, show them what they need to see. That I see, but I can't for some reason break through. Uh, we wait on a child, wait for a child, and we wait on, wait to, to get pregnant. Uh, ladies, uh, if you've been there before and you've waited at any particular time at all, it can be quite stressful, it can be emotionally uh, draining. Uh, you wait for the conversion of your children. Some of you who have older children are still waiting and praying, God, we, we ask that you would work powerfully in the lives of our children, and you realize your vulnerability, that you can't you cannot do what the Lord can do for your kids. So all you do is you just lay it out there. And just and God, you're just going to have to do something. I'm going to keep loving them. I'm going to keep pointing them to you. But in the end, I, I cannot get into their heart in the way that you can. Maybe it's not just your kids. You're thinking about your parents, your grandparents, um, friends, neighbors, whoever it is, just, just waiting. And this year, just like every year, I think we can grow in our ability to, to wait and trust the Lord. Wait for a child. When we suffer, we wait for relief. Um, If you've suffered, even though suffering by definition is a gift from the Lord, it's not arbitrary, it's not uh, Satan-induced in the way that that many would claim it is, even though Satan is at work to bring you suffering, Um, God makes sure that your suffering is not arbitrary, it's not purposeless, it's for a reason. But still yet, you want relief? Uh, suffering is difficult, it's hard. Um, So there's all these different categories of things that we may have to wait for this year. And and what I want you to see about Noah and his family, that during the waiting, what's clear, even though it isn't clearly articulated in this narrative, what's clear is that there was work, work to be done on this boat. There was work to be done to care for what God had called them to care for. And although they couldn't determine the timing in which they would walk out of that ark, they could, by God's grace, be faithful to what God had called them to do now. And in that boat, what felt like monotony, what felt like this dark, dreary activity with no purpose, had immense purpose, and they just didn't see it at that time. So they had to walk walk about that ark, day in and day out, holding that wall and feeding that dog, feeding that animal, feeding that whatever it was, scooping out the feces, which I wouldn't have wanted to volunteer for, um, and take care of everything that they had to take care of. And they had to do that, even though it felt monotonous, even though it felt mundane, even though it felt very purposeless, it, it fulfilled a very significant purpose in the whole history of the world. What if they had advocated that mundane work of feeding the animals? What if they had advocated that responsibility of caring for each other on that boat and just you know, washed their hands with it? No, by God's grace, they did what God called them to do. And this year, you're going to be called to do things that feel like just scooping dirt. It just feels like scooping poop. And quite literally, Allie, you're going to be scooping poop here in just a little bit as a (laughs) mama. And it just feels so purposeless. It's just like, God, where's my place in the world? Like, what am I doing? Like, what's my purpose? And here we are hearing about this and all these nitty-gritty details that we will never know for sure. We can just speculate what happened in there day in, day out, just routine after routine. They fed the animals. They worked. There was work to be done. Now, while we wait on the Lord this year... Okay? There are very specific things that we can do. And two things in particular I want you to be made aware of are things that are universally true for all of us. Everybody in this room, here's what God wants in His revealed will for you this year. And you can put this in your journal, you can write it on your uh, coffee tape, or on your uh, write it on a card, put it on your refrigerator, do whatever. But mark this, while you're waiting on the Lord, there is work to be done. And In fact, these two things in particular are just two things I wanted to highlight. The first is First 1 Corinthians 10.31, and it says this, and it covers all of your life, every aspect of it. Even what feels mundane. Whatever you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So here's what God's will for you is this year in 2017. As you wait, as you do whatever you do, He wants you to do all the things that you're doing for God's glory. So the question you've got to ask is, what are you doing this next week? You start work Tuesday, right? Keep using the structs here. You start work work on Tuesday. You go back to school. Dan's going to be going back to school. Micah's working at the hospital uh, students, you go back to you do your normal activities at home as you're doing your chores, whatever it may be. Okay, You're going to be doing some things this week. Do it for God's glory. Again, all of it. Say, God, I want to do the best that I can that, that your name would be glorified and honored. If you do a crummy job at work and you just don't care, God doesn't receive glory and honor in that way. If you're doing this for God's glory, do the best you possibly can. See, I'm going to put my hands to work, I'm going to put my hands to the plow, and I'm going to do everything I can, because I want God to be honored. He is the boss behind my boss, and I want to honor Him with everything that I do. And so this week, God, help me to experience you as I'm doing that mundane thing. Help me as I'm reading through my Bible this year, as I get up early in the morning, as I stay up late at night, as I read my Bible, God, help me to experience you. I want to read my Bible to your glory and honor. I just don't want to do it just because I'm supposed to do it. That is what God wants for you this year. A second verse I want to call to your attention is 1 Thessalonians 4.3. For this is the will of God. For this is the will of God. Ears perk up. What? What is it? Your sanctification. So it's God's God's will for you this year. That's why suffering is included in God's will for you. Because His desire for you is to grow into Christ's likeness. This is what God's will for you is this year. Growth. That's what I want for you. I want you to sin less this year. Than you did last year. I want you to become more aware of your present sin this next year than you were last year, because it's in that you see how different and how glorious Jesus is as compared to you. As you're growing in Christ likeness, you're learning that you're not you're not all that like Him. As you're growing in Him, you're seeing how glorious He is and how wonderful He is. And I want you to grow. In Christ for 2017. Put that, God. Okay, help me. I want to grow in Christ like I want to be sanctified this year. I want to quit sinning so much. I want to grow in godliness. So as we wait on the things that we are waiting for, these are things that we can do. As we wait, God is forging our character. It's just it just happens. As we're waiting, as we're doing what God has called us to do this week in the mundane, God is forging your character. And this year he's going to continue to forge your character. That's one, waiting. Two is surrender. And it's included in verses 1 through 12. And it's including in the word waiting as I see it as a subcategory of it. Each time the bird came back, the message that came to Noah was not yet. Not yet. And the appropriate response from Noah wasn't, no, this is the right time. We're going to do it now. We're pushing the doors open, the door that you closed, God. We're going to push it open, and we're going to go out now. They'd come to rest on mountains of Ararat. He could have said, nope, uh-uh. But the message that he worked, that he heard back was, not yet. And there are things for you that are going to come where you're praying, you're praying, you're praying. God's God's going to say, not yet, not yet, not yet. And it's going to require you to surrender to him and his purposes. And each year, this is kind of the case, where we get stripped of our sovereignty and we realize that God has purposes that are bigger than my purposes because I've never been to a year yet that went exactly the way I wanted it to go. And I don't know if you have. Tim and Rhea Bueller, did you ever think you'd be in Southern (laughs) Illinois? Right? What, it wasn't on your list of purposes for the last seven or eight years? No. But you're here. John and Angel. You ever have on your list of purposes for 2016, house burned down? No, not at all. That promise wasn't arbitrary. I promise that has purposes with it that may still be unseen. But that pain was not purposeless. I promise. And this year, I want you to discover that. I want you to experience what God had for you in that, even though it was deep, deep loss. Surrender is something that I have been personally thinking about. What happens when your will doesn't line up with God's will? What happens when your will is clear but God's will seems to be unclear? What does waiting on the Lord do in your heart as you're waiting and as you're surrendering? What does it do? These are questions that can be answered, I think, for you this year. To to surrender and say, God, not my will, but your will be done as Christ did in the garden, it requires supernatural faith. It requires supernatural faith. To come before the Lord and surrender and say, God, I want your will this year. Even if it is different than what I would desire. That's what I want. And so I'm praying and asking in the same way that Noah had to surrender his purposes of wanting to get off that stinking boat. Say, another week, another week, another week, another week. That we, too, learn to surrender well. Included in God's good plan for you. Things like financial provision, which He will do. I've experienced this last year over and over again. If I was a prosperity preacher, there are things in my life that I would be able to give as case studies and say, look, this is what God will do if you just rub the prayer belly the right way. Then out pop miracles, you know. God has provided um, for us, and uh, He's going to provide for you this year. And you're going to have a lot of laughter this year. But God's good plan and purpose for you also includes painful things. It's a part of His plan. And that's how it ensures that it, isn't, that it is not arbitrary. So, included in this year, expect it to come, is suffering for your good. This is the unpopular part of, of the Scriptures and the truth of the Scriptures. All other sorts of suffering without understanding that God brings these things intentionally to our way out of His loving care makes all suffering arbitrarily, arbitrary, and Satan-induced, and completely purposeless. Purposeless. But verses like this show us that no, nothing that comes our way is purposeless this year. Nothing. Nothing that comes our way is outside of God's fatherly and loving governing care over your life. Listen to this from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. You get that? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will do what? Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So, he is a faithful creator, although he has willed suffering. Yes. And there may be things this year that you don't have on your list that qualifies as suffering, sickness, pain, whatever it may be. And Satan is, intention- he is intending to take you out, and he's got his plan, he's wanting to take you out, to make you run from the faith. And this year, do good. Entrusting your soul to a faithful creator. Entrust your soul to a faithful creator while doing good. Trusting that it isn't arbitrary. This, God, this is God's purpose. So surrender to the Lord this, this, this year. What does it look like to trust the will of God and the purposes of God in this next year in your life? thing comes out of, and it's God is faithful, a faithful God, a covenant giving and a covenant keeping God, faithful God out of verses 20 all the way through verse chapter 9 verse 17, and I'm not going to read it all just for the sake of time, but I want you to see a covenant is introduced with Noah from verses 20 all the way down through chapter 9 verse 17, First, I want you to see that peace with God requires a sacrifice. Verse 20 to 21, it requires a sacrifice. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, took some of the, every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings to the altar. And the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. And the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. But this sacrifice became a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So one, peace with God requires sacrifice. And friends, we have that sacrifice. Every single sacrifice we look to, every single redemptive act that we see in the Scriptures, every single blood atonement, it all points us to, it should take the attention of our mind and our heart, to the cross of Christ. That's what it was all pointing to. And friends, we have this pleasing aroma that has gone up to the nostrils of the Heavenly Father, and He has smelled the sacrifice of His only Son. His perfect Son. And by that sacrifice, we have peace with God this year. That's why I wanted to open up with with, Romans chapter 8. I want you to experience God's peace. You have peace with God. And we need to hear that over and over again. We're forgiven. Everybody else out there who doesn't know God, they don't have peace with God. They lay their head on the pillow at night, and if they start contemplating the things of God, spiritual truth, the state of themselves before God, they don't have peace. They may think they do, but they don't. We have peace with God. We can put our hand on the pillow and thank Him for what He has done for us. God is pleased because of what Christ has done. It's wonderful. Verse 21 tells us that the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. It's the same thing as the problem before Genesis chapter 8. Same thing before the flood. The human condition is still the, is the same. So we see that the world's need is still the same. Humanity is still evil, and sacrifice is still needed. That's why we need Christ. All Old Testament sacrifices, to restate, were pointers to the true sacrifice. When we see the sacrifice and atonement, we should think about Jesus. So when we think about what just happened in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20, Noah built an altar, the Lord took some, To the Lord and took some of every clean animal, every bird, burnt offerings to the altar and it was created a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Every time we see that, when we look at that, we can think, okay, here's a big sign. Okay, and it's telling me where to go i got to go to Birmingham this month. When I go to Birmingham, I'm going to, have to drive through Nashville. When I drive through Nashville, I'm going to have to watch, or maybe through Memphis, I don't know, one of the ways down there south, I'm going to have to watch signs, road map. I'm going to have to look. Where it says for me to go, I'm going to have to go. And when we look at this, it's giving us a big sign, a big picture. From the beginning, even right after the flood, it's pointing us outside of itself. For God and man to be reconciled. For God to be pleased. An aroma has to happen. A sacrifice has to be made. Blood has to be spilled. And so it points us to Jesus. Verse 8-11 through shows us that God makes a covenant with people. Never again would God's wrath be displayed in that way. And in fact, since we've never experienced a global flood, we see that God is faithful in that. He has promised and He will be faithful to His promise. And the sign of that covenant was a rainbow. Every time we look at a rainbow, we see, okay, God's at work. He's promised. As Russ so faithfully preached last year, it's in the shape of a bow. And it's protecting us. We're under this bow. Under the protection of God's covenant sign that God will no longer destroy us. His wrath will not come upon us in that way anymore. And every time we see a rainbow, even if it's a car wash, and we see that, you know, the spray goes and the bubbles and the sun, the rays in it, there's a rainbow. We can realize God's faithful to keep His promise. And then to, to give a word on covenants. Every covenant in the Old Testament, as Ephesians chapter I think 4 says, is a covenant of promise. Every single one. There's this great eternal promise or eternal covenant that happened between God himself before the world began where God the Father gave to God the Son a people, and God the Spirit covenanted together to come and bring this people into the family and bring these people into those whom Christ died for, bring them into the fold. And this covenant was there, and then we see in the Scriptures God making covenants with people. And we see it in the garden, a covenant of works. We see it later in Genesis chapter 12, but we see it here where God makes a covenant with, with Noah and his family and the earth. And I want to read this for clarity's sake, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to uh, open up a time for prayer for this new year, because I think there are some things that we need to surrender in here. So let me read this to you again for clarity's sake. New Year's resolutions are yearly reminders of our inability to keep promises, even to ourselves. Have you ever broken a promise you made to yourself? It's New Year's, okay? We're going to go to the gym. I'm running. Um, not going to. I am going to. This is the year. Fill in the blank. Some of you have probably kept some New Year's resolution and it's stuck. So not all the time. Universally are they broken? But in general, you know, workout facilities are loaded with people until the end of January. It's just every year it's like that. Okay. So we're reminded of our inability. And I want you to think about God's ability with this covenant. Okay. And with this pointer to the covenant in Christ. We try, we fail, some less than others. We simply can't keep all of our promises, not even to ourselves or to other people. But that is not so with God. So a covenant is a promise between two parties declaring what each party will do. Now notice in this covenant, I want you to look specifically real quick with me. In verse 8, this is just a one-sided covenant. This is just God covenanting with people. He's not saying, hey, there's anything that you have to do here. I'm just saying, I will never do this. And I want you to see this in verse 8. So go ahead and put your eyes on chapter 9, verse 8. It says, Then God said to Noah and to, all, and to his sons with him, Behold, I will establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And then in verse 11, I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. This is God just saying, here's what I'm going to do. Regardless of what you do or don't do, regardless if you sin again, because I've already you already declared that they're going to sin again from the youth, though every intention of thought at their heart was evil. This is God just making this covenant saying, I, no matter what you do, I'm never going to destroy the earth with water again. Just one side of covenant. Just God saying, I'll never do it again. Okay, so let's continue. God's So, covenants of promise declaring what each party will do. Throughout history, God's covenant of grace has been rolled out through covenants of promise. And this is one of those. It's a covenant of promise telling us something about God's covenant of grace in Jesus. Something about what's going on with Noah is telling us about Jesus. Each covenant God makes brings promises from God. And points us to the covenant of grace. The covenant we see with God and Noah is one-sided. God simply covenants with Noah to never destroy the earth with water again. God's been faithful to His Word. But, but every time we see a partial picture of covenant, it should launch us forward to the, to the covenant of Christ. And here's the, the point. So listen intently. God comes to live out the covenant responsibilities what we celebrated last or two weeks ago, Christmas, and last week, Christmas. God comes to live out, even though this Noahic covenant is one-sided, God, what this is pointing us to, comes to live out the covenant responsibilities of humanity. God covenants with humanity to be their God, and the people of God have promised time and time again to be faithful to God's law and to fulfill their side of the covenant. But since, again and again... God's faithful, but God's people have failed in their side of the covenant. Somebody would have to come and be a covenant keeper for humanity. For a covenant to be in place, two people, there's two things that have to happen. I will do no matter what you do. God, humans, obey my law. You will do. We say, yes, we will. Humanities, yes, we will fulfill the law. And yet we're covenant breakers time and time again as humanity. The scriptures declare this all over the place. So God sends Jesus to come as a man and to fulfill the law for us and to complete the promised covenant. So God in Christ fulfills both sides of the covenant for us. He is our great covenant keeper. And so this covenant giving God in Genesis chapter 9, this points us to what he will one day do for us, not just give us a one-sided covenant, but he himself would come and bring us into his family by doing it both and saying, you know what, you can't, but I can. I'll do it. You can't do it, but I'm going to do it for you. I'm not just going to be faithful to my side here. I'm going to send my son to do what you can't do for yourself, what you should be doing, and I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to bring you into my family, and you're going to have peace with me because I am a good covenant-keeping, covenant-making, covenant-fulfilling God. And hence we see our difference coming to this. We see our frailty. We see our God's ability. And so, God fulfills both sides of the covenant for us. This is the good news of 2017. Again, I just want for us over and over again to experience just the basics of our faith. The work of salvation is finished. You're saved if you're in Christ. You're saved. This year, then, is not a year of earning. Trying to impress God or anybody else, for that matter. If God is pleased with you, why does it matter about impressing the Joneses? What are you doing? What are you looking for? There's unbelievable freedom for you this year to experience. Freedom for you to experience. And you don't even know you're in bondage in right now. And for me as well. There are knots to untie that the Holy Spirit's going to, man, I'm preaching really long today. What would it look like then to live a year, not of striving or earning, but of continual gratitude? What would that look like?